welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep our history alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis. Today on Living Heritage, we are looking at a tradition that has fascinated me for years, the weaving of traditional baskets using spruce roots, an indigenous art form with a long and complex history. To start, we need some spruce roots, and that means a walk in the woods. The technique of making wood splint garden baskets of the type found in France, Ireland, and England was brought to the United States by Irish immigrants and carried by American blacks to Nova Scotia. The Mi'kmaq Indians of Nova Scotia adopted the style, but used spruce roots rather than the wood splints used elsewhere. The baskets found on the west coast of Newfoundland are also made with spruce roots. Anthony White has been making spruce root garden baskets for 50 years. He learned by watching his father, and now he has taught his skill to his son, Danny. White spruce root is used because it is long, flexible, and very strong. The roots are dug by hand from June until August, when they are the most pliable. Half a century ago, when Anthony first learned how to make them, everyone made their own as they needed them. Although Anthony does not know where his father learned this technique of basket making, both he and Danny wish to continue making baskets, and in this way ensure that the tradition is passed on to others. That audio clip is from Making Spruce Root Baskets, a video produced in 1981 by the Memorial University of Newfoundland Traces Project. The video focuses on Mi'kmaq spruce root basket making, in particular that of renowned Mi'kmaq basket maker Anthony White. The video, which can be viewed online as part of Memorial's Digital Archives Initiative, shows the Whites collecting spruce roots, peeling and splitting the roots, collecting wild raisin, and the process of weaving a basket by hand. Anthony White passed away in 1990 at age 74. His son Danny now lives in Peterborough, Ontario, and continues to make spruce root baskets in the traditional way. As recently as 2019, Danny White taught basket-making workshops as part of the Bay St. George Powwow in Flat Bay, inspiring the next generation of Mi'kmaq basket-makers. Together, Anthony and Danny have been credited with reviving the tradition of Mi'kmaq spruce root basket-weaving in Newfoundland. One disciple of Anthony White is educator Eileen Murphy. She learned from Mr. White, and in turn has introduced her Cornerbrook students to the art of spruce root basket-making. Here's Eileen talking about Anthony White and her experience with basketry, recorded as part of the Rooted in Tradition basket-making seminar held March 17, 2012, at the Grenfell campus of Memorial University of Newfoundland. Anthony White from Shallop Cole um, taught me how to make my very first basket in uh, 1980. If you can imagine learning painting from Leonardo da Vinci, how special that was. Well, that's like Anthony White teaching me baskets because he is totally responsible for um, keeping it going. It it was it could have died just like that, except for his desire to share it, and I guess a bit of luck because he he was able to be encouraged to teach it. But he was so open and he was so such a gentle person 
he had patience to job with me because I was <laughs> not the best student. <laughs> and he taught about seven of us um, at a nighttime course. It went for 20 hours in the fall of uh, 1980. And we took this course <coughs> through what was then based in George Community College. It was called then. And we were the first visual arts students that were going through a new program that he had introduced. And so seven of us took that, took the nighttime course from Mr. White. And I'll never forget it because, of course, you know, it was the worst kind of time of year to make a basket, especially the fall in Newfoundland. And when he said that, he said, I don't know, he said. He said it was not going to be easy. And uh, when he went on talking about basket making, he said it would have been better to teach this course in the spring. And uh, so... We soon found out what he meant because every time that we tried to uh, make the ribs of the baskets, which we used with rod, or we learned that that was, some people call it wild raisin, we call it choke cherry branches, they would snap like crazy. We like To make one rib, we probably used about, especially where we were all new at it, we did everything wrong. I mean, poor Mr. White. We did everything wrong you can possibly imagine. It would probably take 25 to 30 branches just to get that one rib. You know, if you're looking for 10 ribs on your basket, you can imagine you'd almost be responsible for destroying an entire forest, right? <laughs> so, and he was very, very familiar with Port of Port and Chalcote. He knew where to get the best, but at that time we were in university and we had to go somewhere very close to the college and the residences. And we, we didn't have cars. We had a land of one truck, which we all piled in the back of. And so we went to perhaps not the ideal locations for looking. But I would like to say that um, you never met a man with such skill with his hands. When you watched him, and I'll always remember this because I had to watch because I wasn't very, uh, I couldn't learn, I'm a visual learner, so that's how I learned. But his hands would caress everything. He would, he would pull the roots, and he would caress them. And in a splitting, he used his entire body. He'd have the root down here between his, between his knees, and he used to say, hold on to the root with your knees, Eileen, and going everywhere, right? And he'd say, hold on to it with your knees. And he would guide it. And it was almost like playing a musical instrument, but he had so much practice in it and such a feel. I'm sure he could make a basket with his eyes closed. And it would be perfect, like a well-cut diamond. But anyway, we 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 tried our best, and and uh, we made our baskets. And so after that, I went on the rest of my life, and went off to finish my schooling in Halifax. And I I trained as an uh, art teacher. And when I came back to Newfoundland. I never heard of anybody making baskets anymore. And I started getting a bit nervous about it. And then I saw a few baskets that Mr. White had done in a few tourist shops, and they were priced really cheap. And I said to myself, I wonder if he's getting the money out of that. Because he made it for pure love and passion. Somebody else was making a buck off it. But the, vet, the time and the effort, and it's not just the making of the basket, it's the foraging, it's going out, finding the best place to get your roots, 
knowing what roots were the best, getting down on your hands and getting really runny and dirty, right? And digging it all. As all of this goes into making a basket long before you actually start your weaving. So I wondered, you know, I used to see it and I think, I hope he, he's getting some sort of, you know, a claim for it. Not so much money, but that he was he was given credit where credit was due and that nobody else was taking it from him. Because without him, I have to stress, it just would not have survived. The story of baskets in Newfoundland and Labrador would not be here. And he was generous enough to show it to some young students who uh, didn't know very much even about his culture or even asked about his culture. But through that, we, we, you know, we found out about his life, and he told how he used to use the baskets, as you were saying, for functional. Mm-hmm. It wasn't made to look pretty. When he was growing up, he said that they were used to gather vegetables and potatoes, mm-hmm. and they were used to, to work with, to do things with, right? Not to sit on a store shelf and to be put in the mire. I guess they were just used as part of the household utensils. And so then, since then... I worried a lot, and I decided that I had to do something about it. Um, for many years, I couldn't because I had a very ill son, and that took up a lot of my and my husband's time. But, you know, it's a funny thing about this basket making. When I was stressed most, I started making baskets. Yeah, well, it's a mystery. It's yeah. Mystery. And... Uh, <sighs> Unfortunately, it seems that most, whenever I go to make a basket, it's at the worst time of the year. It's in the fall. And it's never really changed. And even though I try and say, oh, now spring's coming up. i gotta get out and i got to get some really nice sand. I've got to remember spring. And why? And then come the fall, I'm making a basket. <laughs> and it's the hardest time in the world because it really, the, nature, you know, is telling us, leave us alone, let us go to sleep for the winter, and wait and get your branches another time, but, you know, I always want, if there's a hard way to do it, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's how I got introduced to it, and I've been trying to pass it on as best I can. I used to get worried that I wasn't doing it right, because I'm not an expert, and I'm really not, I'm just a person who loves to do it. But I remember something that Mr. White told me, and it gave me a lot of strength, and I tried to pass it on to my students, because one time I made this basket, I was making it with, with him alongside, and he, he laughed and he said, he said uh, you see, because his baskets were really perfect, you know, he really knew what he was doing. And mine was lumpy and bumpy and <coughs> curves and it just looked kind of like it had been hit by a Mack truck. And he laughed at it, and I said, I guess I better start over. And he said, no, 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 he said, Eileen, don't you start over. He said, that basket is you. He said, it reminds me of you. And I treasure that because every time that I have a student who makes a basket, honest to God, I'm not making it up. You can see the personality of that child or that person in the basket. It doesn't have to look like it was made in a factory. It's not. It's handmade. And sometimes you can see in the, in the spruce the difficult year it had growing. And the place where it grew over a rock or twisted around another tree. Um, one time I made a series of baskets and I was really stupid because afterwards I was wondering what was going on with all these roots only to find out I had dug them in a what used to be an old garbage dump. And so it was really contaminated, right? And that's why the roots were trying to tell me, you know, gee, you shouldn't be 
but when the baskets were done, they looked hurt. They looked hurt. I, I, I don't mean to sound crazy, but to me, they looked hurt. And uh, so my students, when they're making baskets now, like when we put them on display, my joy comes from, like, I can tell you that, that looks just like you, Brenda. I'm just you all over. And it really does. And that's, that's the thrill that I, I get from them making baskets. And I'll always remember everything I do goes back to Anthony White. Every, every time I make a, a road or I dig a road, or, you know, he, he sometimes comes back to haunt me. <laughs> in a nice way. In a nice way. And uh, I'm hoping that the students that I've taught and I haven't, I don't mean to give you the impression I've taught thousands, I certainly have not. But um, the hundred or so, I suppose, that I've taught, I hope that two, three, keep it going. That was educator Eileen Murphy, recorded in 2012. Edward Young was another traditional West Coast basket maker who made spruce root baskets for sale in the 1970s and 1980s. His work is remembered today by his stepdaughter, Jane Daly, who learned how to weave from Mr. Young when she was a young girl. I spoke with Jane in November of 2020 to learn more about Edward Young and the process of making a spruce root basket. I started out by asking her where she grew up. Fishels. We lived out there for a while. We actually lived in Heatherton, and this was where our cabin was for fishing. My mother was from Lark Harbour, just outside Cornerbrook, and my father was from St. George's, but this was my stepfather that we were there with. Edward Young. It's more or less just down the hill. Oh, well, we pretty well spent the whole summer down at the beach. Oh, I was only young then. I was more or less the go-to person. Go do this, go do that. It was nice. I mean, you didn't actually have neighbors, but you still found things to do. There were uh, actually uh, relatives of my father that had a cabin down there also. And there were a number of other cabins with fishermen that would come and go. He, he was doing them ever since I knew him. He used to uh, put them in a couple of stores here on consignment. It depended on the size, but I know a decent sized one, not, not the really big one, was $20, and that was a long time ago. They use them for almost anything, picnic baskets. Uh, there's a different uh, shape we'd make uh, that was lined, and you'd use it as a purse. Well, mostly he made the round ones, but uh, he also made long ones, and he also made a couple of square ones that were actual picnic baskets. A regular one he could do in two days. He wasn't really one for, for just having things around. It had to have a purpose. He was fairly quiet, but uh, he had his moments. Yeah, he, he, when he laughed, he laughed good. He just did really good work. He used to make these, oh, do I still have that? It's a little dancing man he used to make on a stick. I have one somewhere. I don't know what I did with it. He used to bring those into the craft store also. It was downtown in in St. John's. But I, I can't remember the name of it. 
he sold a lot that had different linings in them. So uh, people had used it for anything that they didn't want falling through the little cracks. I know mom used to use uh, Robin Hood flower sacks. Actually, it was cream of the West, cream okay. of the West. Yeah, she used to make up some kind of solution. I don't know what it was, but it made it a little more waterproof. She just used it as it was. The printing part would be uh, the bottom and the plain part would face up because you couldn't usually see it through the weave. Sometimes it was just sewn right around the edge if it didn't have a top to it. And if it had a top, then it would be sewn along the edge and then you'd put buttons in the middle so you could open it up. I used to help my stepfather pull the roots and wash them and peel them and split them. And then finally he let me try the baskets. I guess I must have been about hmm, 10 or 12 then. Usually in the spring, once, once the ground was soft enough to dig up a bit. Well, you do it starting in the spring and right throughout. You didn't do it in the winter, that's all. You'd have uh, buckets of roots soaking so that you had them all year round. You just found a half decent sized tree. You didn't want it to be too big because then the roots would be too big. And uh, you'd just run along the ground with them. You'd get them as long as you can, but I mean, once they got too thin, they were no good. You'd want them a little smaller than your pinky. You soak them. That makes the uh, makes it easier to peel them. Well, there was no length was too long really, but uh, you wanted at least forty eight hours. You could just peel it right off then. You'd coil it. Well, you'd split it because you want a flat side for in the basket, and uh, then you'd just coil them up individually and put them back in the water. You had to keep them soft, otherwise you wouldn't be able to weave them in and out. And uh, well, you'd have to get some alders also. That's what you make the frame out of. You had to soak it and peel it just like the others, but you didn't split the alder. You left that round. Like, I mean, if you're doing the little basket, you want a smaller frame for it. So you use the smaller. You'd, have, you'd, you'd start with just two pieces that make the handle and, and it's just a full circle. And then you'd, you'd start on the top and work your way down and then poke the spokes in. Well, you'd have to put in your, your spokes first. That's, that's the uh, parts that hold the weave. See the, the different spokes inside? So you have to put those in and after you do the ends, you poke them into each end. That's for holding all the uh, insides to it. Then you just start at one end and you weave right down to the other. Well, one of the hardest things is stopping and starting a new weave because you always tend to have it poking out somewhere instead of hidden. You hide it under, under one of the other weave reeds and hope that it stays under there. And it usually does if it's done tight enough. They were always there. I mean, mom used to throw stuff in them in every room kind of thing. 
Uh, it, she, she didn't go out and buy things to put junk in, so we just use a basket. They didn't really mean that much to us then. When I moved out, I, I only had a couple of baskets with me. Yeah. Then I started to cherish. There's so few people that make them anymore. They're, they're just a lost thing. Well, that's, that's the way it is with a lot of things in Newfoundland. People just forgot about it. Actually, I, I don't know of anyone that makes them. Maybe I'll change that. Jane Daly now lives in St. John's, and her daughter is archaeologist Dr. Lisa Daly. Lisa and I have extracted a promise from her mother that come spring, when the ground warms up, she'll take us out and show us how to collect spruce roots. Old traditions are sometimes more tenacious than we think. As long as there are people like Danny White, Eileen Murphy, and Jane Daly who are willing to teach others, I can see a future that will include spruce root baskets. Who knows? Maybe we'll be back with an update next spring. I'm folklorist Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail, and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening.